Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. So I want to start with a question and an illustration. Um, and I want to I ask the question, what is it that defines who we are? Now, on the personal level, uh, we can start to see multiple different answers to that right away. Uh, my job might define who I am, or my personality might define who I am, or my family might define who I am. Or maybe it's a negative thing, because this is just as much a struggle. It's my addiction that defines who I am. It's my health crisis that defines who I am. It is my uh, mental health struggles that define who I am. It's my relationship issues that define who I am. Whatever it may be, the follow-up question to that is, biblically, what should define who we are? Now, this, if, if we're not careful, we're really prone to just answer questions like that on a personal level, Instead of looking across the scope of the church level. So, I'll ask the same question again. What is it that defines who we are? Now, some people might define who we are by the number of people we see in here on a Sunday. It might define who we are based on uh, who we are in the community. Which is why we say, hey, let's be the same people here that we are out there. Uh, They might define who we are by what they see on the exterior. Whatever it may be, the better question we need to be asking is, biblically, what should define who we are? Now, this illustration is one that I have seen, and I've just kind of modified it a little bit to fit what my desired uh, aim is this morning. And I want you to imagine these two ladders as two different ways of living. The green ladder, I want you to think about representative of the person who has their eyes fixed on the things of the world. Whereas this ladder, I want you to think in regards of the the, the individual or the church body, both of these can apply corporately, who has their eyes set on the things above. And this would be a Colossians 3 principle. Since you've been transformed by Christ, set your mind on the things what? Above, where Christ is seated, not on the things what? Below, right? And yet, when we come to faith in Christ, when we say, "I, I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. I want to do life the way that God calls me to do life. All of a sudden, we start a war. We start this battle internally inside of us between what our flesh desires, which is ultimately the things of this world, and what God has called us to. And so oftentimes what happens is, when we start this journey, it looks something like this. And we're like, 
That's not bad. I'm comfortable. My feet are comfortable. I'm good. And then as we continue to grow, or we ultimately continue to say, this is what defines who we are, and we progress, well, I'm still pretty comfortable. But not quite as comfortable as I was there. Right? And we we keep progressing on this, and all of a sudden we start seeing, huh, it's not going to be long and I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to have a big problem. Why is there a problem? Because these two paths are going in different directions. While slow at first, seemingly, they are going in opposite directions. And so the question becomes, at some point here, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to, am I going to turn and follow the Lord's way of doing things? Or am I, am I going to be like, well, you know, I'm pretty content over here. And so I want you to keep that visual. I'm going to come back to this later. There's more that this image picture portrays that we need to consider. But the question at the very beginning of this is, what defines who we are? And specifically, what way of life are we living? What does how we act, how we respond, how we live, how we navigate the trials that we face, what does all of that say about our way of life? And we want to look specifically at the character of Jesus and the offer that is there for us to walk in a disciple-making way of life in the same way that Jesus did. So I'm going to pray that the Lord would use us to open our eyes. We're going to jump into Mark 3 and Matthew 28, and we're going to allow Scripture to speak for itself and learn from it. Father, thank you for the opportunities you give us to walk according to your word in obedience Father, thank you for the community of people here who yearn to grow. Thank you for each person sitting here, which their mere being here uh, testifies to their desire to know what you would say to us. God, I pray that you would help refine us. God, that you would help to clarify in our hearts and our minds that we, uh, who, who we are. Help clarify what it is that truly defines us. And Lord, by the power of your spirit, transform, shape, mold, shift our thinking to be one that aligns with your will, your way, your purposes, and not our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in Mark chapter 3, I want you to look specifically at 13. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And Jesus is just kind of at the beginning of his ministry here. So, Jesus is just kind of becoming known. And so, but, but with that, there is a group of people that are following Jesus because they've seen what's happening. And I, I want you to distinguish between something. In the New Testament, we see the word disciples. Everyone say disciples. And there are two different references when we think about disciples. Most of the time, when people hear the word disciples, the first thing that comes to their mind is the 12 men that were with Jesus each place he went. Well, yeah, the 12 disciples. 
However, there are places throughout the New Testament, throughout Jesus' ministry, where we see disciples referring to all of those who were following Jesus and the ministry that was going on. And then you had this subset of 12 guys who were the inner circle of Jesus' focused ministry. They were with Jesus in each place. And so I want you to remember that because contextually, you had this whole group of people who were, who were walking where Jesus was going. They were following him, waiting to see what would be the next big thing. What, what's Jesus going to do next? And you can almost picture the rumblings that were happening, happening in the town squares and in the markets. Hey, did you hear about Jesus? Did you hear what happened this time? Did you hear about this guy over here? I've known him. He's been sick for a long time. He's not sick anymore. Did you hear what Jesus said the other day at the temple court? I, 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 that's, I haven't heard this before. Do you think he's right? I mean, we, can, we can kind of conjure up what the scene might have looked like. And so people were following Jesus. And verse 13, it says that he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonergus, that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, you can see right at the beginning here that Jesus appoints 12. It doesn't mean there were only 12 people here. But rather, he called out 12 specific individuals and he called them apostles. And yet, he does this for two purposes. What are the two purposes that it gives in verse 14 that he calls these 12? Number one, so that they might be with him. And number two, that he might send them out to preach. Now, let's focus first off on this focus here that Jesus calls a twelve, first off, so that they might be with him. Now, hold on for just a second. There are two perspectives here when we're thinking about a relationship. There is Jesus towards the disciples, and there's the disciples back towards Christ. Now, each one of us, when we hear the word disciple, we have this idea that comes into our minds. But I want us to have an accurate picture of that so that we're working with the same idea. You hear this word a lot, thrown around a lot. And the Greek word, the way that's pronounced there is mathetes, right? Mathetes is the word for disciple, and this is the actual range definition for a disciple, one who engages in learning through instruction from another, a pupil or an apprentice. This would be why there are many in the New Testament who were referred to themselves as disciples of Jesus who may not have been one of the twelve. So we're thinking about someone who is a disciple. I want you to have this in mind. It's someone who is sitting under the instruction of another and ultimately seeking to live the way that they live. Seeking to be like the person they're sitting under. A pupil or an apprentice. That is that 
An apprentice has the goal of what? One day, no longer being an apprentice, right? If you become an apprentice in a job and you just stay an apprentice, that is not something to brag about. The goal is that you would get to a point where you yourself would then have what? An apprentice. The same concept applies to disciple making here. Jesus models that by starting, he calls these 12 people out. And the reason, the first reason is that they might be with him. Have you ever stopped to ponder the reality that Jesus doesn't do ministry alone? Jesus does not go from place to place alone. In fact, some of the only times that we see Jesus by himself alone is when he pulls away to do what? So is he alone? No. He pulls away to spend intentional time with the Father. And then what does he do? He returns back to this place of ministry alongside of and towards the people that are around him. What's really, in a sense, encouraging to me about this is we think about the words of Jesus in John 6. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And this is a part of that. The part of God's plan through Christ was for these 12 men to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus. And so... To live a disciple-making way of life requires other people. And I know, some of my introverts here are going, oh, really? Yes, it does. But it's not hard for us to sit back and realize that you and I need other people. We yearn for that. We yearn for relationship with other people who can walk and do life with us. There's a reason that solitary confinement is such a horrible reality. It's because God has designed us out of the the triune community that he dwells in himself. He has designed us to be in community with one another. But what is the way of life that produces that kind of community? Jesus reveals that as he calls these first so that they might be with him. The reason I highlight this is if we're not careful, we convince ourselves that this disciple-making way of life is done alone. And yet, we will never make disciples if we are never with people. Jesus was intentional to call twelve, and throughout the rest of the Gospels, we see investment in them with the time that he had. Now, there's another perspective here. The disciples' response to Jesus calling them. And I want you to to, to pause and think for a minute. How do we often think about being with Jesus? The reality is, most of us, if someone were to ask us this question, our idea of being with Jesus... Is me like by myself with my Bible in prayer. It it is the Western culture's idea of what it looks like to spend time with Jesus. Now, in no way am I saying it's a bad thing to do that. However, 
If our spiritual lives become solely about me and my personal devotion time with Christ, I miss the mission of Jesus completely. Why? Because Jesus himself did not accomplish what God set before him by pulling away and only spending time with the Father. That's not what Jesus models. Rather, quite the opposite. Jesus actually pulls away to spend time with the Father in order to replenish so that He can be with the people. The follow-up question to that is more practical. What hinders us from being with Jesus? What hinders us from doing that? And at the end of the day... It's that we tether ourselves to anything but Jesus. It's, it's that we, <clears throat> we tie ourselves to the world and then we go, well, I want to grow in Christ, but I'm, I don't want to give this up. So I'm, I cannot physically take another step in my spiritual journey because I'm unwilling to move. It's impossible for me to progress here if I'm not willing to let go of this. I can't do it. And maybe I, maybe I convince myself, you know, like, like before, I, can, I could go a little ways. But regardless, there will come a time when I can no longer grow spiritually because I've tethered myself to the world. And until I untether myself, I'm at a standstill. I'm tied down to the world around me. And some people go, well, what, what, tether, what, do, what do these tethers look like? Well, <clears throat> instead of a disciple-making way of life, I may decide I'm going to live a money-making way of life. Instead of a disciple-making way of life, I may decide I'm going to live an entertainment way of life. Instead of a disciple-making way of life, I decide I'm going to live, most commonly, a self-satisfying way of life. Whatever pleases me. And if we decide I'm going to remain tethered to the world in this way, I should not expect to grow any further in my relationship with the Lord. The same is true for our church family. If we tie ourselves to earthly ways of existing and being, if we tie ourselves and our ministries here to a location or a place, all of a sudden... We will cease to become who God desires us to be. And I'm convinced that this is such a drastic focus for us. You've heard me talk about it quite a bit. We've got to untether ourselves from the world if we're going to pursue all that God has for us. The second reason Jesus calls these guys is so that he might send them out to preach. Now, I know exactly what some of you are thinking as I say that. Ha! Matt, that's your job. I am not a preacher. Well, it's kind of interesting. Let's look at the, what the definition of preach is. Keruso is how you pronounce that Greek word. And it is to proclaim aloud, to make known, to herald. Now, we need to sit for a minute and realize... How does the biblical definition of preaching differ from what we look at culturally and say that's preaching? 
You see, if we look this way and we understand the call to the church around the world through Christ, it is that we proclaim aloud, make known, and herald salvation in Christ alone. That means, I've waited all week to say this, all of y'all are preachers. By the biblical definition, every single one of you who claims the name of Jesus has the call to preach. To proclaim aloud, to make known, to herald the salvation that we are given in Christ. It's, It's the very mission that Jesus has given his people. That, that we would not keep this hidden. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Who lights a candle and hides it under a bowl? They don't. That's foolishness. <laughs> Instead you put it on a, on a stand. That it might give light to all who are around it. Preaching is not giving a sermon. There, Romans chapter 10 emphasizes this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone? What? Preaching, not giving a sermon. How are they to hear without someone who's willing to proclaim, make known, to herald these truths? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When he, he being Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. That's from John, I believe, chapter 16. So, even Jesus here is going... There is a call for us to not stay, but to go. Why? With what purpose? To proclaim these truths. Now, there's another question that I like to ask, and that's, how do we see Jesus sending people in the New Testament? So he's investing in these people, he's doing life with them, that they could be together, that they can be sent out. How does he do that? Well, if you can make a note in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, and Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Mark chapter 6, verse 7 is close. It says, and he called the twelve and he began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. How does Jesus send these disciples out? In pairs. He doesn't send them out alone. Family, it is not our responsibility to go out into this world on our own, by ourselves, and do this without anyone else. It is our responsibility to pair, to partner with the family of Christ to say, we together have this responsibility. Let's do it. Let's live differently. Let's live a disciple-making way of life. Because, you know, no one truly enjoys trying to go about and do these things on their own. But do you know what's a lot of fun? When we get together with a group of people with a unified purpose to accomplish something together. Now, the only... I'll say, there's a caveat to that. I hate school group projects. They are so frustrating. 
You know why they're frustrating? Because there's like one or two of you that end up doing all the work and everyone else is just along for the ride. But if we wait a minute and we think about it, if we aren't careful, guess what the church starts to look like? It starts to look like there's a couple of us that are hired to quote unquote do this job while the rest of us just kind of sit and are along for the ride. That is not a disciple making way of living. That is not the, the, the mission, the purpose for which God has established his church. And it's visualized by the fact that Jesus begins this journey by calling these individuals to himself and then saying, you are going to be prepared to take this further. And then we see him consistently come back to this place of telling them, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to, I'm going to leave. And, and they didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it. And it, it, it just kept kind of going until they got it. So the, the, the follow-up question, how does Jesus send people? How should being sent change the way we draw close to Jesus and learn from him? All of a sudden, if I am to spend time with Christ in order to do what Christ has called me to do, it should change the way I spend time with Christ. What's the difference? Well, if I am just spending time with Christ to benefit me, you know what? I want to know more. I want to be more knowledgeable. I want to grow in these ways. I want to do this. Then I'm going to approach Jesus and scripture and community with the the, the question of what's in it for me. What's in it for me? And my goodness, family, if we aren't careful, this becomes the most common thing that we come back to. Oh, you know, I really didn't get much out of the sermon today because... I, I don't know, it just didn't speak to me. It's not about us, is it? Shouldn't be. It shouldn't be about us. It's, it's all about Him. It's all about heralding, proclaiming, declaring that Jesus is the only way. The only hope we have, the only peace, the only joy, the only thing that will not let us down. And so every time we come back to this, every time we gather in community, every time we take communion together, everything we do is meant to center us, not on ourselves. It's actually meant to separate us from the things we want and say, no, 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 no. Let's stay here. Let's keep the course. Let's let's pursue that which is greater. It's what Paul meant when, in Philippians 3 when he said, I consider all is loss. All of this is loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's manure. It's manure compared. That's what Paul said. Jesus, I want you to flip with me to Matthew 28. This is one of those passages... That we are prone to kind of blow by because we've heard it so much. People call it the Great Commission. And yet, we still find ourselves in a place of needing recommissioned. So as we think about practically what does it look like to live a disciple-making way of life. I want us to just hear what this says once more. Matthew chapter 28. The very last paragraph, starting in verse 16, 
says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, pause a minute. We recognize previously it was twelve, now it's eleven. What's the reason for that? Well, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. He revealed that he was not a genuine disciple. And here's, here's an encouraging truth for you, okay? Some of you have sought to walk with people in a disciple-making way. And they have fallen off. They've left. They've just, they, they might even have slandered your name or rejected the faith altogether and left you in this space of going, I don't know that I want to do that again. That was pretty painful. I invested a lot of time and energy into that relationship and look what it got. I, I, I think I'm just going to do me and Jesus from now on. And what I encourage people with in that is I go, you know what? I think of all the people who were knowledgeable and had everything they needed to make disciples, Jesus ranks number one. And Judas still did his own thing. Don't let discouragement over those who have wandered away keep you from pursuing the way of life Jesus calls us to. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. And you don't do it because it's enjoyable or because it's what you yourself may want. You do it because it's what Jesus modeled and what God has called us to as his people. But in Matthew 28, we continue verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that interesting that there were, after everything that's happened, Jesus at this point has died. He's risen again. He's appeared to all these people. And yet there's still people who go, ah, I just don't know. If you're someone who's doubting, you're not alone. There's many who do. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's after this that Jesus ascends. And hilarious in Acts, when you see this happen, he ascends, the disciples stand there and they're staring in the sky to the point that an angel has to come and say, guys, he he just told you what you're supposed to do. Like he's not coming back right now. He trained you, he equipped you, now go. Go go do that which he has called you to do. And I laugh every time I read that because I'm like, they they still didn't get it, right? And if we aren't careful, we we do the same thing. And we go, man, I just what God, what is what is your will for my life? What what do you want for me? What what or or we or we do this. Well, actually, if we do that and we don't do this. Because this is, this, this is what God's will is for us. He, he's made it clear. He's made it known. It's, it's not a mystery. So I love telling people the will of God is the word of God. He's given you everything you need to know what it looks like to walk as Jesus walked. It's, it's not a magic formula. It's not some potion that you drink. It's not complicated. But it means I have to devote myself to a different way of living. Jesus commands them, go therefore. And you could it actually, I love that the actual translation could be written as you are going, therefore. While you are on your way, make disciples of all nations. 
One of the, my favorite parts of this morning is that we've, we've gotten to celebrate the commissioning of that. Not just on the global front as our family, the Burkheads, carries this same mission to another country, another location, but all the more that together, it's not, it's not that we pay them to go do that and say, hey, look, look at the missions work they're doing. It's that we together are meant to accomplish the same thing, whether you are in Fulton County, Illinois, or in the jungles of Africa. It's the exact same mission. And the call on your life may not be to the jungles of Africa, but it is absolutely to the mission given to us in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, and Chris mentioned this in worship earlier, says, therefore we are, what? Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Have you ever caught that? God using his people to appeal to the world that there is a better way. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a distinction here between a follower and an ambassador that we need to recognize. A follower observes what their leader does. An ambassador has a distinct purpose and mission in light of who their leader is. A change happens when the disciples respond to Jesus' call to follow them. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Jesus called his disciples, they, they had to leave what life was and follow Jesus? It's the part of transformation that we don't like. Because we're really comfortable over here. And even at the top of the top up here, I still feel pretty safe. I still feel okay about where my life's at. You know what? I'm good. The call of God in Christ is for us to leave this way, to be ambassadors for Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, the more you pursue Christ, it gets a little scary at times. Some of you are getting a little anxious watching me climb this ladder. (laughs) And there's a good lesson in that. Because there is a lot of times when you're going to be pursuing Jesus and you're like, I would rather be there. It's a lot more comfortable. I don't know what you're doing, Jesus. And a lot of times what it looks like instead is this. What are you doing, God? I don't like this at all. And the reality is, we still have to recognize that what can be accomplished when we choose the way of life given to us in Jesus is so significantly bigger than anything you will ever accomplish in this world. It pales in comparison. Ultimately, as I was thinking about this, I went, I need a ladder that goes even higher. To really give the emphasis, or what I should have done is put like a step stool down here. You know, someone's tiny. But I have to decide which path I'm going to walk. We have to decide together which path we're going to walk. So, 
The last thing I want to focus on is what does it take for us to have a disciple-making way of life? And there's four things. Number one, to know what it means to make disciples. The easiest way to know what it means is to look at what Jesus does. How does Jesus do this? What does it look like? How would the disciples have known what disciple making looks like? When he says, go and make disciples, stop and think about what that would have brought to their mind. Knowing that Jesus called them to be with him and then to send them out, and he tells them, go make disciples, what is it in their head that he says, go and do this? And they go, okay. We saw Jesus do this. What did they see Jesus do? And then what did they follow in? Not overcomplicating it. I can't stress this enough. For years, I way overcomplicated this to the point that I just didn't do it because I was afraid I was going to mess it up. A disciple-making way of living is not complicated, nor is it hard. We way overshoot what this looks like. Brandon touched on this earlier when he said... Ask the question, where are the people that are already around me and how can I live with them in a, with a focus on Christ? Seeing everyday opportunities as opportunities to live like Jesus. That's at home with your family. That's at work with your coworkers. That's at school with your peers. That's at church with your siblings in Christ. You fill in the blank. You already have a mission field right where you're at. When we choose to live this way, disciple making is as easy as seeing the people that are on this path and going, hey, there's a better way. Join me. Let's do this together. And sometimes what that looks like is, hey, how can I pray for you? It's that simple. Disciple making is that easy. Sometimes it's sitting down with someone and Asking about their life like Jesus does in John 4 with the woman at the well. Sometimes it is proclaiming and declaring amongst groups of people what is true. Like when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the last thing, how do, what does it take? Don't give up. Don't quit. This world is in... Such dire need, such dire need of Jesus. Our mission will not stop until God takes us home or takes the breath out of our lungs. Don't give up. Now we're going to unpack portions of this over the next few weeks. And so I I pray that you continue to join us and walk this journey. But there's one tool I want to give you um, that we're going to practice throughout this first quarter. And it's a tool my family and I have started using that's just really valuable. I need need like probably eight people to come help pass these out. I have one for every single person. This is not, I'll I'll just preface this and say, this this is not a magic formula. This is not a something you can do that, Somehow will, will, will all of a sudden make it to where 
you are a disciple-making crazy person, all right? But what my family and I have found that this does is it's a really simple, practical way for us to just refocus ourselves on what matters. And so what I want to encourage you to do is put, put this in your Bible, okay? Put this, put this somewhere where you're going to see it and keep bringing it each week. Seek to memorize this, okay? I've got a few more if we need more. Put your hand up if you don't have, if you don't, didn't get one. We'll make sure. And, and here's simply what it says. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who crossed my path starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you're sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus. Draw my heart to you and to specific people that you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum, forever and ever. May this be a starting point for us, family, where we can untether ourselves from the world and pursue that which is greater. To say, I have opportunities today to fix my eyes on Christ and to pursue a way of living That is different from the rest of the world. Go over this with your family. Memorize this together. Say it. Remind one another each day when you start the day. Guys, look for the opportunities to live and speak Jesus. And then let's talk about those opportunities when we come home. So each week, we're going to close with this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Let's say this together. Heavenly Father... Thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close For Jesus-like, disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples, who makes more disciples ad infinitum. In Jesus' name, amen.